Good morning. It is the middle of winter, but it feels like spring in some ways. The birds are chirping this morning. It's been mild, high 40s, low 50s, a lot lately. But it's still winter, and it's cold this morning. A little cold. Um, as always, you're joining me on the trails, so I like to just mention that. I read this article years ago, and I actually uh, emailed it to myself just to remember it. But um, it was a story about a marine biologist named Nan Hauser, who was in the water with these huge humpback whales. I think it was humpback. And one of these whales started nudging her and pushing her. And like at one point, it even tried to kind of pin her under its fin. And in the moment, she was alarmed and very freaked out because the whale could, one wrong move, one wrong nudge, the whale could break her all her bones in her body or dislocate all of her organs, right? So she was really freaked out. And, you know, her marine vessel is like not too far away. And they actually got all this on film. Well, eventually the whale kind of stopped nudging and pushing her and she got up to the surface and over to her boat. And when she got to her boat, her companions, which were filming the whole thing, said, do you realize what happened? Uh, After she got up, she realized from them there was a tiger shark in the area and this whale was actually pushing her away from that tiger shark. And there was another whale close by that was actually trying to um, distract the tiger shark. This whale was trying to save her and protect her from an attack from a tiger shark. I also, this morning when I looked up that story, another story came up about, um, I think it's Robert Pittman. I think it's Robert Pittman. He started, he's recorded over a hundred incidents of these same kinds of whales protecting seals from killer whales like you know pinning them against their chest and protecting them like um, from killer whales from the attacks of killer whales I think that's so interesting to me like that story about Nan Hauser was exceptionally interesting because no one's ever heard of that before um, and then this other uh, I guess biologist or whoever um, you know, finding that these same whales are doing the same thing for other sea creatures. I think that's so cool. Like, these whales just protecting. Uh, they protected this marine biologist and they, you know, they just take it upon themselves to protect other creatures. Like, not even their own, right? Just because they can. Because they they are... You know, I mean, you could interpret it lots of different ways. It's very altruistic, though, on the surface, right? You know, I I think about our world. I think about how fractured, divided our world is, especially the human world, right? And that's what I want to talk about today. But it it inspires me. And there's other stories. I remember reading a story about a turtle, I think, that rescued a man. Dolphins, you know. There, you can read about stories of animals rescuing people. And, and dogs, of course, are a good example of, you know, dogs. Um, so certain dogs actually can let humans know before they're going to have a seizure. And they can pull them to the ground. You know, it's just like there's this cool relationship between 
in nature between things. And yet, I think when it comes to humans and human relationship, we see so much division. That's what I call fractured reality. That's what I want to talk about today. This fractured reality. This is the Construction Monk Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori, and I appreciate you joining me and taking a listen. I, You know, that sounds like a downer, right? <laughs> fractured reality. Mm-hmm. What I really want to talk about is unity. It's like one of, probably one of my favorite topics, unity, togetherness. You know, coming together and how we can come together. I mean, that's really what we're really talking about is love in the biggest sense, love. And yet the reality is that our love is not so big often, right? Our, our reality is fractured. I, you know, we just had a presidential election here in the United States, and I see this all the time. I'm, I'm fortunately, I'm in a place where I'm not tied to a party and a view and a, you know, a political agenda or anything. I mean, I'm, I'm able to sit back. I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm not a perfect person, but I'm able to sit back and kind of view things from a distance, not so um, impassioned for one side or not so tied to one side of the political arena in the United States. And so that's helpful for me because I'm not like, um, I'm not skewed or or not so biased towards one particular view. So it's interesting, this particular political season, which has been presidential, which is always the most, you know, hotly debated or just contentious, right? It's the biggest, it's the biggest office in our nations, biggest political, most powerful uh, election that we have. And so it's always like this, it's always very contentious and always, always passions involved. So um, I've just kind of been observing, you know, the different people's reactions on social media and personally about the election. And like some people are like, Oh, thank God. Oh my gosh, we're so, so overjoyed. The world is right again. Our our party and our candidate won. And other people are like, mm-hmm, the world's going to hell now. Now that our candidate's out and this other evil party's candidate is in, you know, watch out. Everything's going to get really bad, you know. <laughs> and then I think about, you know, and then... I just, it's just funny to me, the ups and downs, like take any individual person, you know, the world, the the sky is falling when their party doesn't win. And like when their party does win, the world is right. And everything, the sun is breaking through the clouds and birds are singing and, you know, it's like everything's rosy. And I think the reality is like in these moments Like, your candidate may win that big election. And then you go back to normal life and you don't even think about often what they're doing for the next four years. But you're just happy because that person who you thought is the person is in. And so you're happy. Or the person who you thought was the worst person is in. And so you're fomenting on the last four years of the presidency, which has been a Republican. I've watched my liberal friends just continually fomenting and angry and frustrated and like a growing 
building contempt and dissatisfaction because that guy was in office. And so the whole world was bad. Everybody was being attacked and everybody was... And, and I see the political media machine, you know, on both sides doing their thing. Like, I, that, there, was an, uh, there was an obvious intended attempt to malign this last president by a certain portion of the media. Like, they were just going to point out everything bad, everything wrong. They were going to highlight. And there was a lot. <laughs> Trust me. I mean, again, I'm not for any one person or party. There was a lot for the, There was a lot of fodder this past four years for the media to use to stir up contention. But my point is that's what's, that's what's been going on. And that's what's going to continue to go on. My question, though, is why? Why are we in this place where we, we see the world in such a divided way and we see ourselves and our place in it in such a divided way to the point that if things aren't going the way we want, we don't believe the world is right. We can't. We, we can't see how with, in any situation our world could be right. That's a fractured sense of reality. The fact that we can't see how different parts fit into the whole. We can't see how someone from a different political view could still offer good things. I, there was a book written, I'm probably going to get the title wrong, or I don't remember the author. A friend of mine read the book. It was called Who Really Cares? I think it was called Who Really Cares or Who Cares? But it was about, um, it basically was about how people from the conservative and liberal sides both go about trying to bring about social justice and, and you know, try to care for people in their own ways. And basically made the point that liberals tend to try to do that through social programs that typically are government um, instigated. Conservatives tend to do it more through grassroots local organizations, non-for-profits that are private. But the point of the book was like, hey, you know, both are trying to do good in their own way. And can we not recognize that? Like, no, liberals aren't trying to burn the world down and kill everybody. And, and, and you know, rob the rich, steal from the rich to, to feed the poor. Like, they just want to really help those who are, you know, lower in society. And no, conservatives aren't trying to rape the world and just run over the poor, you know, and the minorities. It's like we just follow such starkly uh, polarized perspectives of everything, right? Why, why do we do that? Why, why can't we sit back and say, you know, it's not my party, it's not my agenda, but I can see some good there. Why are we so vested in a fractured view of reality? This is what contemplation calls dualistic thinking. It's either or thinking. And it really says, my view is the best. My way is the right way. 
and I line everything else up according to how it aligns with me. It's also what is called self-referential truth or self-referential perspective, right? I mean, that was a train. Did you hear that? (laughs) There's no trains in the woods here. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing. We like what we like. We we should like ourselves, right? We like who we are. I mean, if you don't like who you are, I hope that you work to change that. But, like, we generally like who we are. We like what we like. And that's okay. And so I think there's a natural tendency to... to then see everything in terms of our sense of good. And that's... It's not necessarily bad, right? If I think chocolate ice cream is better than vanilla, fine. But why do I then, why would I then say we need to annihilate all vanilla ice cream? It's bad. Like, that's a different, that's a step beyond, right? To say, I think chocolate's the best flavor. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with liking what you like and preferring what you prefer. But there's an, it's another step to say, but then everything that's not, like that. Everything I don't like needs to be... Or it's, it's bad. It's bad. Everything I don't like or is, everything that's not like me is bad. Like, that's another step. I like chocolate ice cream. Doesn't mean I think vanilla ice cream needs to be eradicated from the world. Right? Where does that contention come from? Where it's one thing to say, I like being myself. I like, you know... I see this all the time. I've visited tons of churches. People love their church. It's their community. Like They have deep relationships with people, with their pastor, with their leaders. And they want you to love what they love, right? That's, that's good. Like it's, If you're excited about something, if you have a passion for things, that's, that's positive and that's healthy. But then how does, that, how does that get twisted towards hating the things that you're not passionate about? Like, why can't we be passionate about our things without wanting to annihilate everything not like that? That's something very different than just, I like what I like. It's, I like what I like, and because I like it, everything else is bad. That's a completely different perspective. That is the root of our fractured reality. Not just that we like what we like, but that we hate or we can come to hate what we don't like and see that it is see it as something bad. That's what when I'm talking about fractured reality. There is a deeper perspective behind how we hold what we like and how we contrast that with the things that are different from it. That's what non that's what dualistic thinking and self-referential thinking is about where it's, it's, it's that either or. If this is good, then what is not that must be bad, right? And that's also how we think God views things, right? We kind of see God in the same way. God says this is good. Whatever is holy, whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, think upon these things. It's a scripture verse, which I didn't look up and don't have the reference for. But, like, you know, this is what's good. And then, so if God says this is good, then God must hate what is not this. Right? 
There's a scripture um, where Jesus says, unless you hate mother and father and brother, then you can't be my followers, right? Does Jesus teach us to hate people? Does God hate people? You know the, the popular phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin. No, God doesn't hate people. And no, Jesus was not telling us to hate people. He was using that as a contrast to say to, about how much we must be devoted to God. Like our devotion to God must be so supreme that it, it in compa- our love for other things in comparison almost looks like hate. That's what he was saying. Does God hate evil? I mean... It's easy to think of it in those terms. And we see God talking about hating evil, right, in Scripture. But does God really hate anything? And maybe God's trying to make a point, and Jesus was making a point in that Scripture about hating mother and brother and father, right? God hating evil is different than God hating what evil does to us, right? Like a God who's angry. I mean, even the word hate, I guess. It's like, how do you see that? A God who's a God who hates evil. But in a way where there is a compassion for the people who are broken by it. It's just different, right? A God who's separating and dividing from people who are evil. I would say is evil. Right? Especially if God is the remedy and God's presence is the remedy to our brokenness. And so, like, bringing it back down to human terms, we, we, we may come back to the, to the idea of how God, you know, how God is in the world towards all these things. But bring it back down to the human level. If someone is for the rights of unborn children, does it mean they hate or they are against women's reproductive rights. Like that's how we frame things. You're either pro-choice or you're pro-life. If you're about protecting unborn children, you grow, then, then you're not about protecting the reproductive rights of women and women's rights to decide what they do with their bodies. That's how we frame it. My point is, why are we framing it that way? Because that is not the only option, but in a dualistic mindset it is either or you can't be if you're for them you can't be for me and vice versa but that's simply not true you can be for protecting unborn children and you can be for women having the right to do with their bodies what they want and you can find a way to balance both and that's the thing, like, every four years, going back to the presidential election, every four years, the new president comes in and says, all right, all right, I'm about peace. I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to work together. Let's, let's everybody come together. I hear this over and over, like, the new president comes in, whoever, whatever party, however divisive and seditious the election campaign has been and attacking, you know, and contentious, the pre- the the winner comes in and says, okay, okay, now we're going to get along. Let's all come together. I'm about peace. I'm about crossing the aisle. 
I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to usher in a new age of partisanship. And then they, you know, they say, say that. And then pretty much they just go and do their, they follow their party line. They don't want to work with the other side. Um, they talk the talk of peace, but they walk the walk of contention and division, right? It's just every four years we hear the speech. The new president says, I'm, I'm for the American people. I'm for both. I'm for all Americans. But then they go and they just do their party thing, right? They continue in the same vein because they're vested in this paradigm. It's deeper than my party, your party. It is at the root of it, this idea of a fractured reality where you cannot see how two differing things can occupy the same space. You can't find a balance between things. There's, there's an inability to find, to, to find a path towards peace which draws all things together and finds space for all things that celebrates diversity, honors diversity, and makes room for differing views. Like, we seem to lack the ability to create a space where different views and different perspectives can come together and coexist peacefully. I mean, that's the essence of our world. War, you know, poverty, um, you know, there's so many, there's so many, um, they call these, you know, uh, gaps like the, I've heard this phrase the ableness gap the the digital gap the um, you know minority gap it's just like there's this gap between different different peoples like digital gap is like who has access to the internet and who doesn't and that's a considered you know that's an advantage or disadvantage ableness gap is just about you know who ha- who is physically healthy and who's not access to health care, like, there are all these gaps, right, of who has and who doesn't have. Um, but how do we, you know, because we're, that's just another part of division. This person has so much, that person has so little. That's a fractured sense of, of how we, and that's just a result of our fractured sense of reality of, I'm good in my corner and that's what matters. And my perspective's right and yours is wrong. And so I can divide from you and I can leave you behind. And that's okay. My party doesn't uh, subscribe to that agenda about helping poor people or universal med- medical health care for all. And so I'm not about that. And so I'm leaving that this group behind. Like they're not in... They're not inside the circle of things I care about, right? That's what I'm saying. All these gaps and divides are created when we kind of say, that's not my thing. Now, there is a real, like, there's a real reason for that, right? I I started out talking about, or I, I mentioned, you know, what we're passionate about and, like, we like what we like. It's good to be passionate about things. And, like, I believe each of us has a calling, a gifting, (laughs) <laughs> I'm getting towards actually some Bible scriptures. <laughs> and and this is pretty much it. I'm, I'm there. So I'm going to look this up. 
Uh, I think this is First Corinthians. Yeah. I gotta... There it is. Let's see. There we go. Yeah. First Corinthians chapter 12. This is a really long passage. It's just about... Um, it's about the body. <laughs> Paul in First Corinthians is a letter to the church in Corinth from the first century. A guy named Paul, in case you, you didn't know any of this. Just letting you know. Um, he wrote a letter to the church in Corinth. And this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He uses this analogy of the body. This is really cool, though. He bookends. This is, I think this is the, the whole chapter 12, starting in verse 7. But the whole chapter, he's kind of talking about this idea of a body with many parts. But he's, he bookends this conversation about how we in Christ are like a body with many parts. He bookends it, bookends it with the gifts of the Spirit. So he starts out talking about, I'll just read, I'll chapter 7, I'm not sure how far I'll read. This first part is about gifts, right? Like I said, we all have passions, we all have interests, we all are gifted with certain things. He says, 1 Corinthians 12, chapter, or chapter 12, verse 7. Now to each one of, now, sorry, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, another knowledge by the means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit." And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. It should have said just as she determines. <laughs> I, the Holy Spirit is, is feminine. That's okay. A bunch, of, a bunch of patriarchal men wrote the Bible or translated the Bible and wrote the Bible. Now, this is really cool. Like, right off the bat, I love this. Verse 7. He, say, he says, each person has been given some, a gift from the Spirit. But what? Why? For the common good. For the common good. So, from the beginning of this passage, Paul's saying, each of us has a passion, a gifting. Each of us has something that we're meant to do, we're meant to care about, we're meant to give to the world. The reason is for the common good. For the good of the whole. So, oftentimes what we find in, this, in our fractured reality is we're kind of operating out of our passions, but we're operating out of them in the wrong way, okay? Because we're not operating in them for the common good. We're operating for a smaller good, for a good for some and not others. We're often, um, we're often trying to do good for a particular group. We have fractured our sense of our calling and gifting, we've and and we've su- we've um, sequestered, or we've we've like decided we're only going to use it for certain people to do certain things for certain kinds of people. Like we're operating in our sense, in our gifting, in a smaller sense than what it was intended for. We're trying to help certain people and certain groups of people that align with us, and. And at the same, you know, in the same sense, we are forgetting others. So, we're using our passions, and maybe we're even using them in a good way. 
but we've tor- turned them towards a not so good end. Because we're saying, because we're, I'm, I'm about this, then I'm only going to be about the people who are also about this. And everybody who's not about this, I don't care about. If you're not about what I'm about, then I'm not about you. That's, that's not good. Paul starts out this whole conversation about body life, about how we're like a body with many parts. And he says, look, everybody's been given a gift. Everybody has a special calling, a special passion. Everybody has something put in them that they're meant to do and give to the world. But it's for the common good. It's for the good of all. So now, then, he, so he starts out this whole idea with that point. Hey, you have a gift. You have a passion. You have a calling. It's for. It's given to you to be given to others it's for the common good. It's for the good of all. And then he goes into this, this analogy of how we're like a body. I love this. is so good. <laughs> I love this passage. He says, this is 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Chapter 12, verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts. If you notice, sorry, I meant to go back to that. In that, in that first, these are first 11 verses. This was uh, verse 7 through 11. He, every time he said, talks about a uh, gifting of the Spirit, he says, he always says, given by the Spirit, given by the same Spirit, the same Spirit, the, the one Spirit. He goes over and over, the same Spirit, the one Spirit. He's saying lots of different gifts to lots of different people, but it all comes from the same source. It's all from the same one thing. And so it's if you're given something from this one source, Oneness, sameness. Like he's saying, there's a diversity, but it comes from a unified source. And so it should draw us into unity because it's given by a unified source for the sake of unity. Don't use it for disunities. Over and over, he keeps pointing. One spirit, same spirit, one same, one same. You have something very different given by Someone who is not about difference, but about unity, oneness, sameness. Like the spirit that has enlivened you with a passion and a gift is a spirit who is passionate about unity and has given you that gift for the purpose of the common good, for the purpose of unity. So don't use it for disunity. Don't use your gifts to divide and separate from others. That's not the point. Okay? So, back to verse 12. Just as, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And so... Um, you would not probably get the cultural significance of Paul mentioning Jews and Gentiles, slave and free. But he's basically taking the most divided classes of his time, Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles did not associate. Gentiles were basically Greek peoples, Roman or Greek. Jews hated Romans and Greeks. They, the Gentile to the Jew was 
subhuman. They were cursed by God. They were not to be included in God at all. They weren't Jews, and so they were dirt, right? So he says, doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, slave or free. And Roman society, that was a big distinction. You were either free, or you were a Roman citizen with Roman rights, or you were part of the working class that were basically like indentured servants. Sla- slavery, for the most part, in Roman society was not like European slavery. You weren't owned. You were indentured. You were basically... You, it, it might be closer to what we would think of as blue-collar workers, where you work for whoever you work for, you're kind of beholden to them. Um and even in European society, they called this uh, benefactor, right? An artist, even a creative person would have a benefactor, uh, musicians, like someone who would pay for them to do their art. And like, look, that was that, you, were, you were connected to that person in a way that was very binding. And so you weren't really free to do whatever you wanted. Like the Renaissance was, a, that was about kind of coming out from under that patronage it's called patronage too or benefactors like but an artist under a benefactor or a patron couldn't just paint whatever the whatever they felt like they weren't free to do whatever they wanted um slavery in roman times was much like that you worked for somebody they really kind of had a lot of control in your life you weren't free to do whatever you wanted you had to show up when when they said a lot of times um they even lived in the same house they provided all your meals and shelter but it was a it was a financial relationship. It was not really an ownership, but it was you weren't free. You couldn't go where you wanted, do what you wanted. You had to you had to show up at work and they, when they said you got the meals they fed you, you slept where they you know what I mean? Indentured servitude is what we would call that more. So that was another one of the biggest distinctions at the time Paul's writing this. If you were free or you were slave, that was a big distinction. That was a big deal. But he says, we form one body. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, slave or free. Today we might say it doesn't matter if you're black or white, gay or straight, Republican or Democrat. That's what we would say. That's the most divisive kind of polarized um, terms we would use today. Same thing, though. He's like, doesn't matter. We all form one body. We are unified. And then he goes on. That was verse 12 through 14. He said, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. It's one body, but many parts. It's cool. So now he goes on. I think this is really cool. Now he starts to talk about this idea of togetherness in a a little bit different way. He's, He's addressing division or the idea of division. Paul says, now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Makes sense. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. Hmm. I love that. I love that. We can't all be one part. 
Like, that's absurd. Paul's saying a body needs, there's like thousands of parts in a body. There's hundreds of systems with so many smaller parts. Like, if the body was one part, it couldn't be a body. It couldn't thrive and live and, and survive. We have to be a body of many parts to work. I call this, uh, I, I, when it comes to the church, I call this the church of like parts. Like, uh, like this idea, like we only want to associate with our part. And, and um, in the next section of verses, it kind of points at this. But like, you know, we tend, to, we tend to, birds of a feather flock together. We tend to gravitate towards people like ourselves. We tend to li- prefer people like ourselves who see things the same way. And, and view things the same way and affirm what we believe. And we're like, we're so polarized in our world today. And we're in this frame of mind where we're thinking, if everybody was like me, the world would be good. But Paul is saying, no, a body is about a diversity of parts all working together. And that is good. It's not good if, every, if the whole body was a hand. Where would the sense of smell be or the, the, the seeing? We need a diversity of parts to form one healthy body. Man, that's so true for us today. Like, you're a part. Stop thinking that every other part should be like you, and that's good. That's not good. <laughs> It's not good for every part to be the same. It's not good for every person to be the same. It's not good for every party to be the same. It's not good for every government to be one party, one view. We need the balance of a lot of different things working together to meet a lot of different needs. That's why this whole passage starts out with you all have a lot of different gifts But don't use them to divide. Don't think that your part is supreme and and so special and every other part is crap. (laughs) Don't do that. Yes, your part is special, is unique, and is good. But don't take that and use it to say every other part is bad. Diversity, unity in diversity... We need all these parts. We need people to care about the poor. We need people to care about business, about economy, about commerce. We need people to care about health care. We need people to care about those who don't have proper health care. We need people to care about the elderly. We need people to care about the environment. We need people to care about individual rights. We need people that care about the government not being too big and abusive. We need conservatives. We need liberals. We need moderates. We need libertarians. (laughs) We need the Green Party. We need people to come together with their individual passions and work for their individual passion, but not rule out everybody else working for their passion as well. Like... We all need to come together, do our part, but do it as a whole and stop trying to eliminate other parts. Stop trying to chop off fingers and toes. Stop gouging out the eye because you're the ear and you don't think the eye matters. <laughs> That's what Paul, this is what Paul goes towards. We'll, we'll read on. This is, this is really good. I love this. 
verses, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part celebrates with it. Man, if one part suffers... Why can't we see a world where some part suffering means we're suffering? How can we contrive and view a world where we're good and it doesn't matter if nobody else is and that's our sense of good? That's not good. One part suffers. Every part suffers. That should be our motto. I have it good. They don't. And that's not good. And I'm not good. And I'm not okay with that. That should be our motto. One part suffers. Every part suffers. We're in this together. If we can't figure out how to come together, we all suffer. And we are. We are all suffering because we can't come together. The crazy thing is that we're more concerned about our view and our rightness than our suffering. Like, how have we become so blind to our suffering? How have we become so petty in our self-righteousness that we'd rather stand our ground and say, I'm right, and I don't care if we're suffering. I'm going to be right. That's what matters to me. It matters more that I'm right than that we're suffering. Like, how have our priorities gotten so out of whack? That we care more about our self-righteousness than the suffering of everybody. Like, that's pretty much what we're saying. I would rather the whole world suffer so I can be right. Because that's what we're doing. That's the, that's the result. Well, I'm right and that's what matters. And you're all wrong. And if you can't come to my side, then darn it, we're just, I'll just watch the fire burn it down because I'd rather be right than well. That's sickness. That's a sickness. That perspective, that perspective of a fractured reality is a sickness. We have a sickness in us called division. The reality is if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. You don't make the choice to suffer with others. We suffer when one part of society, when one part of the global human community suffers. We suffer with it. I mean, look at the refugee crisis. If all we can say is, I don't want those people coming here, then we don't get it. That we are, everybody suffers when some suffer. When people are being displaced because of war and poverty, and all we can say is, get them out of my backyard. We don't get it. We don't get it. 
if we have all the wealth, like if we're the most wealthiest nation, and all we can say is, why are all those poor people trying to break into our borders? <laughs> we don't get it. What do you think? If, if you're starving and someone's sitting on a pile of, stockpile of food, what would you do? Sit and starve to death? Or would you try to break in and get some food? Like, and how can you, how can you demonize a person for simply tr- doing what they can to survive? People, I mean, um, I, I heard a story about refugees. Make it, I mean, they make these perilous crossings over sea and land. Why do you think they do that? They, put their, they risk their life. Why? Because they're already at risk. They're trying to get to somewhere better. Like, what would you do if you were in that position? You would try to get to somewhere better. And what if you got there and people said, get, get out of here. You can't have mine. We have it good. You don't. Sucks for you. Get out of here. How would you feel? You're dying. You're starving to death. Someone is sitting on a stockpile of food. And all they can tell you is, this is mine. I'm good for the next 50 years. I'm, I've got mine. Get out of here. That's not right. That's not good. That's not healthy. Like, we're going, like, my point about the refugee is like, crisis is like, their suffering is going to impact us. It's going to bring us suffering. We don't get to choose whether or not we suffer with others who are suffering. It's going to impact us one way or another. We can ignore it, stick our head in the sand, say, I've got mine, and build our bunker and say, keep out. We can build our wall and say, keep out. Or what if we worked for the good of everyone and nobody needed to break in to our country because theirs is so bad? And what if some of what our country is doing actually is creating what is bad in another country and we're simply not willing to see it, but it's still true? That's called the butterfly effect. What happens in one part of the world affects every part. That's what Paul's saying. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. He goes on in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of Sorry, I got lost. Um, Then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? He's going back to gifts again. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? And he ends with this. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And he calls those faith, hope, and love. Now, this is interesting to me. So I'm, I'm kind of bringing it back to the realm of Christianity now. Like, so he ends in saying, you're all the body of Christ, right? So we're like, in this passage, we read this whole thing. I'm talking about, you know, one part suffers, every part suffers. And so at the end of it all, he says, we're the body of Christ. And so you could sit and say, well, okay, this is just to Christians. Christians should take care of Christians. <laughs> like, see, Paul is being divisive here. He's saying the church just needs to take care of itself. But, but I disagree, and this is why. If you're a Christian, 
If you're in the body of Christ, right? You've recognized Christ as the head. There's another passage that says Christ is the head of the body. Do, like, I guess this is the question. Does God look out there and see Christian, non-Christian, and I'm only about the Christians? Is that God's idea of unity? Or does God say, does God, you know, God recognizes those who are like seeking to live life in union with him and those who aren't. But like, God is drawing all people to unity. And, and Paul says the parts that are less presentable, that are weaker, need special attention. And so I talked about this last week in the, in the three parables that Jesus read. Like, God's actual, actually God's attitude towards those who are the furthest from God. Like, those are the ones God's most focused on and most trying to draw in because they're the furthest out. The people who are the least like us are the ones we should seek to be the most unified with because they're the ones we're the least unified with. If you're not in the, quote, body of Christ, that doesn't mean you're not in the realm of who God is trying to draw in. It doesn't mean you don't have gifts from God. It doesn't mean God didn't create you for a purpose. And that doesn't mean God didn't create you for unity. Like, this is a principle and a truth that applies to every person. Like, no matter where you stand with God, where God stands with you is drawing you into him and herself and into the life you were made for and into the gifts that you were created with and that you would use them for the good, for the common good of all. Like, that is the goal of God for all humanity, and that's the work of God towards all humanity. And so there is no distinction of, well, you're godly and you're not, or you're seeking God and you're not, or you're trying to be unified and walk with God and you're not, and so I'm for you and I'm not for you. That's how we, again, we come with this fractured view of reality and we say, well, you're in God and you're not, and you're for God and you're not, so God's for you and not for you. And that God's like, no, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, wait, uh, yes, that's true that this person may be for me and that person may not, but that doesn't mean I'm for them and not for them. No, I'm for everybody and I'm drawing everybody into this paradigm of unity because it's true. We are unified. It's not you're a, Christ, you're a Christian, so I'm going to work for your good and use my gifts for your good, but you're not a Christian, so I'm not. Well, how did you become a Christian? I mean, let's just say being a Christian is the, <laughs> is the epitome of where we should be, which I don't always agree with. But if that's true, how did you become a Christian? Did somebody say, you're not a Christian, so I don't care about you? No. Someone said, I know God. I know God's love, and I want you to know God's love, and I don't think you know God's love, so what am I going to do about it? Am I going to separate, and am I going to kick you to the curb and say, I'd get out of here, don't, I don't want you around me, because, or am I going to say, hmm, I want you to experience God's love. You don't seem to be living in God's love. What's my response? Hey, I want you to come and experience God's love. I'm going to love you with the love of God because I want to draw you into the love of God because I see that you're suffering apart from the love of God. That's the response of a unified heart of love for all people. <clears throat> That's the heart of God. That's what Paul's talking about in this passage. He, he doesn't end by saying, okay, now we only have to do this unity thing for people who are like us. <laughs> 
He spent the whole, the whole passage talking about how we need to treat people who are not like us and how we need to draw together as different parts into one body. Maybe some people aren't technically like in the body of Christ in the sense of that they're operating in, within the Christian religion. But is it really that small? And even if they're not in, quote, the body of Christ, what we would call the church, shouldn't they be? And shouldn't we be, shouldn't we be, be working for all people to be in the body of Christ? Which just means, in the most common sense, in the most basic sense, operating in the life-giving flow of God's love. Right? Like, we can be so narrow and so petty in our view. I'm a Christian. You're not. I don't care about you. That's not the heart of God. That's not what Paul's talking about. It's the opposite of what Paul's talking about. The truth is, we are a body. Humanity. We're a global human family. And we don't have a choice. That's what we are. If we don't figure out how to come together, if we don't start... repeating the mantra, if one suffers, we all suffer. We don't start living out of that reality, then we're going to continue suffering. We're going to continue suffering this fractured reality. We're going to continue suffering from the divisiveness that is at the root of our heart towards others. We have to deal with our heart. We have to recognize, yes, we're a part, and we have a part, But we need to be a part of a whole. We need to bring our part into the whole because that's the way it works best. Yes, maybe you care about unborn children and their rights. But that doesn't give you the right not to care about women's rights or minorities' rights or refugee rights. Right? (laughs) How does our sense of good lead us to do such bad things towards others? If it's truly good, then it should only do good. We're a part. If we can't put the parts together, we're going to die. That's the point. If the heart only beats for itself the hands only work for their good, if the eye doesn't care about where the foot's going, if the ear isn't watching out for the rest of the body, if we're not all working together, the body dies. If there's only a few healthy parts, the body dies. If there's only one unhealthy part, the body dies. The body is a system and all the parts need to do their part and be healthy and work together for the whole body to be healthy. This is really cool. I'm walking through a, a, it's actually an orchard, a field, and the grass is frosted and the sun is coming up through the trees and it's like diamonds everywhere. It's like sparkles. like someone took a big bag of, of glitter and just dumped it over the whole field. It's beautiful. Man, I look at nature. Like, I think about how Everything works together. The trees create oxygen for me to breathe. And the grass. And the the trees provide food for me to eat. And I take care of the trees. And we all, we're all part of a whole. We, we, 
We divide and isolate to our own peril. Man. Would that we would learn that truth that Paul says. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is well, he says honored, if one part is good, every part is good with it, right? We suffer together, and we thrive together, and we divide to our own peril. Stop using your gift, your gifting, for the lesser good. And start using it for the common good. For the good of the whole. Because that is what's good. You can't leave anybody out. You can't cut anybody off. You can't cut body parts off and still be a healthy body. (laughs) Doesn't matter. Christian, non-Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, atheist. We're in this together. One part suffers. Every part suffers with it. Learn that. Live that. Believe it. It's true. We've got to come together. If we don't, this is what we get. This is what we're going to get. War, poverty. Genocide. Human trafficking. Abuse. Just oppression. That's, this is what we get from division. Are you tired of division? Yes, I'm sure you are. Are you going to do anything about it? Are you going to change yourself? Are you going to do something different? Are you going to start putting down your petty perspective, your fractured sense of reality? Every four years, we hear the talk about coming together from the political machine, which has done more to divide us than probably anything. And it's true of of the religious machine as well. Division seems to be the byproduct or maybe the main product of these processes, political and sometimes religious, but it's up to you. Don't buy into it. Don't follow it. Be a Republican, be a Democrat, be a liberal, conservative, libertarian, fine. Don't do that in a divisive way. Division breeds division, but we all suffer together, and we're suffering the consequences. Do you want to keep suffering? The, do you want to keep suffering the results of division, or do you want to come together? It's up to you. Be a Republican that can get along with those who are not Republicans. Be a Democrat who can get along and see the good and the value on the other side of the aisle. It's the only way we're going to work it out. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate you listening. It does mean a lot to me. (laughs) I'm geeked that anybody would listen. This has been the Construction Monk Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. I love all of you guys deeply. And I want all of you to thrive. Hey guys, you can catch more content at www.moderncontemplative.com. I do a, another p- post or podcast on Wednesdays. We're in the middle of a series called The Practice of Stillness. We're going to wrap it up soon. 
I think there's two more parts. Hey, thanks guys. Love you. Bye.